Fortean. Hello and welcome to episode 209 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. Or if we're being pedantic, I'm Josh's monster. Josh is the name of the mad scientist who created me. Your dad? No. Aw. Yes. I thought, I thought that was Rumplements. Yeah, no, we've been saying it wrong all this time. That's Rumplestilskin. <laughs> Jack Daniels is your father. Joke's bad. <laughs> yeah, I got no way to save this. <laughs> so, yeah, so this week we are doing uh, Frankenstein's, being the first show of uh, Octobu. Yeah, Octobu 2017. Yeah, so we're doing uh, Victor Frankenstein versus Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which the besides being Frankenstein movies, the coincidence on these is both of them have unusual characteristics of characters that don't usually have, in, like in the first one, have intelligence. Frankenstein's monster is a lot smarter in the first one, and Igor is something completely different in the second. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. I mean, I don't know if anyone besides me has read the book. Long, long has. I read it a long time ago. So yeah, but like, the monster becomes fairly intelligent in the book. Like I, I'm talking like I I was like 11 or so when I read it. So, so that's been smoked away years ago. Pretty much, yeah. What are we talking about again? <laughs> reading, reading Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, okay, cool, cool. My uh, father had a whole collection of classic books that I read. But, you know, yeah. No, Pat, it was Piercy B.C. Shelley's Frankenstein. All right, we we gotta move. I, on. I had somewhere to go, and then Joel talked. <laughs> it was if if Joel you bad. if you like Joel, he has about fourteen podcasts on. <laughs> well, if you like podcasts, you can, uh, check out all the great shows on the Podcast Collective, including On the Block, Joel's Own the Sunshine Happy Pants Hour, The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, and of course the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Yes. And podcast Collective, where seventy-five percent of the podcasts are Joel's. Which <laughs> yeah. oh. I was gonna go with. If you like classic books, <laughs> the Joel Cast Collective. <laughs> um, if you like our older stuff, want to listen to that? That's uh, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, and other podcasting directories. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, that's seven zero eight now wrap seven zero eight six six nine nine seven two seven. Got any feedback today, Josh? Uh, no voicemails. Um, I actually think it's been quiet in general. I think uh, people are recovering from inclement weather, kind of shell shocked. Yeah, everyone's everyone's happy jo- that uh, Pat's not dead. So they're like, well, okay, not everyone. Wow, that got dark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out whether it's Pat or somebody else. I think the oh. answer is yes. I can only answer for myself. And he did. And it's about <laughs> that time. Oh, God, is it about that time? <laughs> this week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. Good. All right, so this week we're going with November 4th, 1994. That was a release of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in the theaters. So, music. Music, everybody dance. The top songs in the land are Secret by Madonna and All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow with 
I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men at the number one spot. I pretty much like all three of those songs. Yeah. I don't love any of the three of them, but I like all of them. Yeah, uh, they're, yeah. They're, that's, I don't, I, I'm secret. consistently meh on all of yeah, them. Yeah, you do. I do? Yeah, but I'm not going to sing it for you. Yeah, I, it's one of those where you might not get it from the title, but if you load it on YouTube, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that. It's not one of her huge hits. But yeah. but 30 seconds into it, you'd be like, yeah, yeah. Meh. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly how you would make the noise. You'd be like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd write another song. All right. So this week <laughs> sees the release of the Amorica album by the Black Crows, MTV Unplugged in New York by Nirvana, and Euthanasia by Megadeth, all of which I own. Solid albums all the way around. Yep. It's actually the last album by Megadeth I purchased. I've not bought anything since then. I own no Megadeth. Last you, one sir. he's purchased. He has stolen all the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Dave Mustaine. He's crying somewhere right now. Yeah. Crying <laughs> because into he's his Dave money. Mustaine. Yeah. I'm not Metallica. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I make this haircut? Uh. He's probably thankful for that now. Um, anyway. Frederick Dewey Smith was born September 14, 1948, and was per- known professionally as Fred Sonic Smith, an American guitarist best known as a member of the influential and political Detroit rock band, the MC5. Kick out the jams, motherfucker. At age 31, he married and raised a family with poet and fellow rock musician Patti Smith. In 2003, Rolling Stone magazine ranked Smith number 93 in its list of the 100 greatest guitarists of all time. And for a piece of trivia, the band Sonic Youth took its name from Smith's nickname. Freddie grabbed his last ring on November 4th when he died of heart failure at his home in Detroit and was absorbed. (laughs) I have no idea who this guy is. That was a Sonic the Hedgehog joke. Oh, ring. Oh, geez. You guys get get on me about the dumb jokes. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't dumb. That was just reaching. (laughs) It was definitely reaching. (laughs) I don't know. You're both right. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't it be both? (laughs) All right, moving on to movies. Along with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, it was a bleak day for movies. As cool. Double Dragon, starring Robert Patrick as Koga Shuko, Alyssa Milano as Marion Delario, and Nils Allen Stewart as Bo Abobo. This beats out Mary's flick with an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. No, I have. A Bobo, instead of just making him a huge dude with like a goatee and bald, they decided to make him entirely out of testicles, basically. Yeah, I've what? seen their pictures. It's- <laughs> what? Yeah, he, he looks like a giant tumor, and they basically get around him by dodging because he can barely move and throwing bricks at him. <laughs> Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you a link there, Pat. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to do this. Sounds like somebody ran out of a budget. No, they had too much budget because this is I mean, this is if you're looking for a great testicle suit, this is it. It's like someone said, oh, no way we can make a video no. game movie worse than Super Mario Brothers and uh, Double Dragons like hold my beer. <laughs> what is this? Come on. That's not yeah. cool. That's a yeah, thing. No, that's that's a thing. Wow. <laughs> well, I may not have seen this, but I definitely didn't miss it. All right. On November third, Dennis C. Ott, a six-one, sorry, six-eleven, towering actor who played a Klingon in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock and an alien in Star Trek IV: The Undiscovered Country, and 
also the devil in Bill and Ted's bogus journey died at the age of 36 from complications from AIDS. He also appeared as a looter in the famous PA six, which is of course prostate assassin six <laughs> starring a Bobo. <laughs> that was our acronym of the week. So I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. Yeah. That's uh, police Academy six. Ah, uh, you're close. And had a role in the Oliver Stone film, the doors absorbed. All right, so TV. The number one shows in the land are Seinfeld, ER, Home Improvement, and Grace Under Fire. We're stuck right in the middle of the 90s. Yeah, I was going to say, that's like the 90s equivalent of the Cosby show, Cheers. Yeah. Yeah, Alf. (laughs) Uh, Don't you be dissing on Alf. Ha! Willie! (laughs) I kill me. (laughs) So uh, the classics keep on coming this week because... Earth 2 premieres this week. Uh, They had a good run for the first show and came in eighth place. However, they did not last long as its Nielsen share dropped from 23% to 9% right after the uh, pilot. And despite winning a primetime Emmy, a Saturn, and other awards, it only lasted one season with 22 episodes. What the hell is Earth 2? The sequel to Earth? (laughs) Is that the one where they had like the... uh, the, they were colonizing space, and yeah. they, they basically I, were starting Earth over again I, in a, in a I, spaceship. I don't know why that was funny, Joel. <laughs> I know. I liked it. Uh, yes, Pat. That's, that's okay. correct. Yeah. I, one thing I've noticed is that, like, despite winning a Saturn Award is, like, saying literally nothing. If you right. see some mm-hmm. of the shit that the Saturn Awards have uh, nominated. They nominated my first show. <laughs> And you're not even on TV. Exactly. <laughs> Let's nominate. Well, now I'm kind of upset that we don't have a Saturn Award. I don't think you should be, really. Yeah, because then you get canceled. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Mary Shelley's Frankenstein got like nine Saturn Awards. Or at least nominations. <laughs> Can we be canceled? Only by us. Oh, shit. We better oh, up no. our game then. <laughs> the, the, the nature tried to cancel me. Let's not tempt fate. Okay. <laughs> so, um,. Michael Donahue was born January 5th, 1940, in Sequoia, New York. He would grow up with dreams of being a writer and first uh, was first published in his high school comedy magazine, Ugh. 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 With a tendency to the dark and disturbing, he wrote experimental theater with such scripts as The Twilight Maelstrom of Cookie Lovato and a dark satire of the JFK assassination. His claim to fame was a comic by the name of The Adventures of Phoebe Zietgeist, which detailed the adventures of debutante Phoebe Zietgeist as she was variously kidnapped and rescued by a series of bizarre Inuit, Nazis, Chinese foot fetishists, lesbian assassins, and other characters. Doonesbury comic strip creator Gary Trudeau cited the strip as an early inspiration. He would eventually work with National Lampoon as a contributor and then move on to the then-new Saturday Night Live as a head writer, which he would then teach John Belushi such phrases as, I would like to feed your fingertips to the Wolverines, and we are out of badgers. Would you accept a Wolverine in its place? He also wrote the Star Trek parody in which Belushi is Captain Kirk, but on on November 8, 1994, O'Donohue died of a cerebral hemorrhage at age 54. Absorbed. Yeah. Wah, wah. Joel chose to end that absorbed in song. Yeah, <laughs> he did. I looked up his stuff. I mean, he's he was on stage. Do you remember there was another one with like uh, not favored or hated fairy tales? He he did some really dark stuff on Saturday Night Live. It was like, 
So I'm just imagining like, you know, the, the high school comedy magazine, the UG, like the, the, the writers would be Tonto and Frankenstein, and Tarzan, UG. Joke funny. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to sports. That's me. So I'll stop trying to pass it on to sports. someone else. Sports. The Chicago Bulls beat the Charlotte Hornets 93 to 89 on November 4th at the first ever game at the new United Center. Huh. You guys all been to the United Center? Uh, yes. No. Uh, I have, but not for basketball. Maybe. I, I was on a train when it went past. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like being there. I've been several times. That's funny. Yeah, I've never been to an NBA game. I have. It's a lot of fun. Me either. But it's weird the very first time you go not hearing any commentators or anything at all. Like while they're playing, literally all you hear is like the stadium music and just a bunch of squeaking of the shoes. And the, if you're close enough, you can hear the players talking to each other, which is fun. And then you can find out how truly massive they are. Yeah. yeah basketball players are, are the, the biggest athletes in the world. Like literally, I mean, sumo wrestlers are like the only people that could even come close. Basketball players tower over football players, believe it or not. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Aside from like the top end of professional wrestlers, right? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, I mean, look at look how you know when Shaquille O'Neal went into the ring to to wrestle in the big man, he he fit right in with all the wrestlers. You know, he and Big Show were about the same size. Yep. Wow. Anyway, moving on. On November eighth, the Cleveland Cavaliers debut their new stadium, the Gun Center, and lose to the Houston Rockets one hundred to ninety eight. And that was the year that the Rockets went on to win the championship. I was going to say Rockets and Bulls win. Yes, that's 90s. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the gun center like the make stuffed animals? Don't they make stuff? Uh, yeah, they do. I don't know what yeah. that's named after, actually. Yeah. Because I know it's Bert like. Gunderson? Yeah. I mean, they've already torn that down and, and opened a new one. So, so they, I'm just wondering if they were. The Cavaliers were sponsored by Beanie Babies back then. <laughs> no, but that would be awesome. Like all their jerseys come with tags on them. <laughs> the tags have those they, little they're collectible, but not really. Right. I think at that point the Cleveland Cavaliers were actually sponsored by the river that sometimes catches fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back in the nineties, you're definitely right. <laughs> and now they've renamed it the Earth Two Center. Uh, I see what you did there. I brought it back around. <laughs> all right, so. Carry us out, keyboard Joel. You went through puberty in that. I need closure on that anecdote. All right. So, being Octobu or Octobu, which one is it again? We fight about this every time. Octobu. 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 No, not Octobu. See, we named it Octobu because it annoys Joel, and we call it Octobu because it annoys Pat. (laughs) Oh, okay. Win win. All right. So. This is uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It came out in 1994, directed by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, writing credits, Steph Lady and Frank Darabont, who you may know from doing the Shawshank Redemption later on. Oh, and uh, The Walking Dead. Oh, Mist, Green Mile. He's He's got some caliber to it, and he's actually, oh, he's cr- uncredited with the Godzilla movie from 2014. He's... Uh... He's not um, very humble. No, but I mean, he's one of those screenwriters that there's a short list of screenwriters that a large number of people know and respect. So, like, he's earned his ego. Yeah. Yeah. 
kind of like Tarantino. He wrote Nightmare on Elm Street three, Dream Warriors, the best. Oh, we're still gonna we're, don't open that wound. Uh, Darabond is a legend. Mm-hmm. I can't disagree. <clears throat> so uh, this movie is currently sitting at thirty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, forty one reviews. Stars the headliner is Robert De Niro as the creature, as he should be. Kenneth Bradnaugh <laughs> as Victor Frankenstein. Tom Hulse as Henry, Henry Clerval. Yeah. Or Amadeus, as he apparently was for several years. Or Pinto. Or Pinto, Rocky that's Amadeus. true. Uh, Helena Bottom Carter as Elizabeth. Adian, Adian Quinn as Captain Robert Walton. Ian Holm, or as the kid said, hey, it's Bilbo. <laughs> It's Baron Frankenstein, Richard Breers as grandfather, John Cleese and his teeth as Professor Waldman, uh, Robert Hardy as Professor Kremp, and Sherry Lungi as Caroline Beaufort Frankenstein. Okay, I'm going to give you a spoiler. Those were not his teeth. Right. Well, that was the thing is when he appears on screen, it's like, is that John Cleese? Sounds like John Cleese. No, that's not John Cleese. Right. Wait, IMDb well, says it's John Cleese. Oh, well, the teeth. We'll, we'll it get, totally we'll get took to me that. out of the movie because I was, I was like, this is John Cleese wearing fake teeth. Yeah. Well, right. hang on. We'll, we'll get to it, that in the trivia. It would not have taken me out of the movie. Any, you know, it, it would have taken me out of the movie less if they had given him – just let him be John Cleese. <clears throat> right, mm-hmm. if he would have done like the Ministry of Silly Walks. Like, right, it would have whenever. taken me out of the movie less than those teeth did, but yeah, we'll get there. Okay, so this in the trivia, this is the first film directed by Kenneth Bradnaugh not to feature Emma Thompson. It was also the first during the filming of this movie that Kenneth Bradnaugh, then married to Emma Thompson, fell in love with Helena Bonham Carter. So, Emma, yeah. you should probably stick around this guy. He's <laughs> – so and correct him on how to make movies before he gets to Thor. Mm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, producer Francis Ford Coppola had originally planned to direct a film himself as a companion piece to Bram Stoker's Dracula, but eventually stepped back to let uh, Kenneth Bradnaugh direct. Coppola later regretted his decision after several disagreements with Bradnaugh during filming. And so did everyone who saw this in the theater, <laughs> including me. I saw this shit opening night. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Huh. Did not. All right. So the producers, here we go about John Cleese, were hesitant about casting John Cleese as Professor Waldman since he was considered a comic actor with the looks to match. So to make him appear more serious, they gave him face, false teeth, and a prosthetic chin. Because adding fake teeth makes everybody look more serious. Yeah, it just made it, I mean, it made it so, uh, it was just such a bad choice. Oh, yeah, I mean, it did, like, in the long shots, it did make him look more serious and grave. But then you zoom in, and you're like, holy crap, those are fake teeth. And when he was <laughs> laying there dying. <laughs> like, why is this professor wearing fake teeth? <laughs> He's obviously done something terrible. He's hiding his identity with fake teeth and a fake chin. <laughs> How does no know. one notice? It worked for Jerry Lewis when he did play the role of that Chinaman. No, it didn't. All right, so... Frank Darabont has said in interviews that he was displeased with the finished film, feeling that Kenneth Bradnaugh had mishandled the project, and has been quoted as saying, the best script I ever wrote and the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> after viewing a rough cut, Francis Ford Coppola insisted on cutting the first half an hour of the film. When Kenneth Bradnaugh refused, Coppola publicly denounced the film. So there's a lot of shit going on with the script in this thing. So you've got some heavyweights all fighting about it and the audience loses. Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, I was looking into the Darabont thing because I, I was looking at this cast and looking at the writer. It's like, how do you make a movie that doesn't work written by Frank Darabont with De Niro, Brana, Helena Bottom Carter, Aiden Quinn, Ian Holm? Mm-hmm. I even wrote in my notes that the this cast deserves a better script than they are using. And they had one, That's but Kenneth Branagh kept changing the lines. Oh, Kenneth. He was distracted by Helena Bottom Carter. That's why. <laughs> oh, this one actually did not win any Saturn Awards. It was oh, okay. Nominated. It just was nominated yeah. for a bunch. So you're not even good enough. You're not even bad enough to get a Saturn Award, I guess. <clears throat> so how many of us was this the first viewing of this? Josh, we already know you're not, but. I, I've seen it already. Yeah, I saw it in the theater, but I didn't see it opening night. Oh. This is the first time I I've seen, seen it. I hadn't seen it since then. Yeah, I have. This is the first time I've seen this. I'm sorry. Th- this was my idea, and I knew what we were walking into because I'm very forgiving with my entertainment, and I actually uh, was angry walking out of the theater when I saw this the first time. But I was like, you know, it's been 20 years. Maybe it's not as bad as I remember. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I mean, just as an over before we get into the specifics, I didn't hate it as much as you obviously did, but the movie just it definitely doesn't do itself any favors. We're on fire. <laughs> well, sure, that's the like Sarah. This was the first time she watched it with me. She hadn't seen it before, and she's just like, "This is ridiculous. People are just making decisions that don't make sense." Uh, the acting is bad. How, how is this movie? I'm just like, wait for it. Cause I knew the fire <laughs> scene was coming. And every time a new scene happened, she was like, is that what I was waiting for? I was like, Nope, wait for it. <laughs> yeah. The fire, the fire scene just reeked of Hollywood. Just like, like you could smell it a mile away. It was just like, really, this is where we are. Okay. Well, the fire Shame scene. they uh, painted the old Frankenstein place in a mixture of gasoline and turpentine. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes. Were the ones that designed it, actually. <laughs> I mean, it was an amazing stunt. I will say that somebody was on fire for a good minute and a half. Oh yeah. That. <laughs> Running around like a pinball, instantly immolating everything they touched. <laughs> it's like that's not how fire or buildings work. <laughs> <clears throat> Back in the old days, everything was flammable. Dogs. <laughs> if that were true, there wouldn't be new days. <laughs> we we built all our buildings out of asbestos. We didn't start the fire. Um, Elizabeth did, and it. Oh no! No, stop that. <laughs> so, how do you think Chicago caught fire so easily? Frank Darabont. <laughs> Elizabeth was on vacation. Yes. Frankenstein set the <laughs> Chicago on fire. Yeah. So, hang on. Yeah, this I was confused because it the DVD case I checked out a library. I'm looking at this. I'm like, oh, okay, it's rated R and it says an erotic uh, thriller on the splash on one of the splashes on the front. I'm like, I don't recall anybody ever saying anything about that. And the whole time I'm waiting for that to happen. And I suppose uh, Helena Bonham Carter getting her heart punched out of her chest may have been for someone. But I I was confused through this entire thing. I mean, first off, how many in this little bitty town? How many people are having children that he can get that much ambionic fluid? No kidding. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my big questions like, several times throughout the movie. But yeah, 
I mean, okay, the first time around in Ingolstadt, it's the middle of a plague, and they show him collecting, fine. But when he's decided to never do this work again and locked all of his shit up, uh, and then he takes the 180 once his wife dies, he's just got fresh amniotic fluid, gallons and, and gallons and gallons of it laying around. And a bunch of electric eels. Yeah. <laughs> Who is with the giant balloon full of eels? And the, <laughs> well, you, you don't keep a giant balloon full of eels in your and, attic. And I mean, the you pairing, when pairing that up with He's John Cleese it. being in there, the only thing, first thing I saw that popped my head is my hovercraft is full of eels. <laughs> I think he was watching a lot of anime and just got an idea. I think they did that on Trading Spaces once. This is your bag full of electric eels hanging over your bed. Well, and that's the question is in the very beginning. He's doing the thing with the lightning bolt. First off, they all should have been fried. I don't care if you're laying on a fancy blanket. (laughs) It was a very fancy blanket. You don't get. You're gonna get zapped if you're doing that because you you lay flat on this. No, no, no. He had the he had the 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 thing with the the thing. I don't care. The things sticking out of it. So Uh, lightning rod. Those are rubber sheets. Yeah, I was intentionally just playing stupid. Okay, so he does the thing with the lightning. Kind of. That's the joke, Josh. Says, I, I'm sorry, I can't tell the difference anymore. <laughs> oh, but you're like, oh, he does the lightning thing. Oh, he's going to put up the lightning rods later. No, he's not. His whole solution to the uh, previous doctor, to John Cleese not being able to create life, was he didn't have enough eels. So if you just get now, where do you get that many electric eels in the middle? Where, where was he, Josh? I just lost the name. London. Uh, wait, at that point, I think he was in uh, Geneva. Because Ingolstadt was, oh wait, Ingolstadt was where he did the first, where right. he made the creature. Correct. Well, maybe there was like an Amniotic Eels Incorporated down the street. <laughs> I mean, they were everywhere back in the time. Oh, that's, a, that's over the Amniotic Fluid District. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right next to the Electric Eels District. Amniotic Eels is right on the border. All right. I am looking this up where Ingolstadt is and where the 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 chance. Well, what you, what you should be looking up is how much Amniotic Fluid is in one berth, how much would it take to fill a 100-gallon container? Okay. Like how many months or years was he saving up amniotic fluid, and how long does amniotic oh, fluid stay good? Much am- does he have a giant refrigerator <laughs> full of amniotic fluid? You just like saying amniotic fluid. I do, kind of. <laughs> uh, my theory on this is I think that Francis Ford Coppola was like, all right, make sure De Niro doesn't see any of the dailies for this film, because <laughs> we want him to act up to his normal. And he did. He was the only redeeming quality. Even Ian Holm was like, dude, you're better than this. <laughs> he was overacting the shit out of everything. Yeah. I, I think Kenneth Branagh pretty much like created an onset atmosphere of like, this is a stage production and everybody overacted the shit out of it like they were on stage because that, Kenneth Branagh loves nothing more than being on stage. That is sure. that is part of the way. I mean, even in the direction of the of the plays of it was he's breaking into the fence, going to get his raw parts. He's not hunched over and hiding the fact that he's trying to break into a cemetery and filing off the lock. He's got one hand on the lock face to the stage so he doesn't turn his back to the audience in a movie. <laughs> Why don't you just put the camera on the other side of the fence, dude? yeah it's almost like he tried to make this huge operatic tale but the script he was given was not suited to that so when you try to put the operatic style into a script that's way more subtle everything just comes out forced and clunky all right here we go uh it is about one liter of omniatic fluid at birth 
I was just trying to look that up. Beat me to it. Yeah. One liter. So we're talking like 300 births. Yeah. So he's just like running around impregnating women, waiting nine <laughs> months, and then collecting all the MMs. The amount food. of money I spend on dinners alone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, That's the side of Victor Frankenstein you don't see is the seduction side. He's got to go out and seduce all these women to create the amniotic fluid so he can create the monster. And what's messed up is if you look like you take out the bad acting, you take out the questionable decisions and the ludicrous special effects. You've got a script that actually follows the book more closely than any other interpretation of Frankenstein. It just was completely mishandled by Brana. Well, Pat, eventually he, he got, it's kept, stopped taking him out to the fancy places. He's like, all right, we're just going to McDougal's to get some McDougal nuggets. So, <laughs> Right. I'm also looking up here. Right the amniotic fluid district. The electric eel thing kind of pisses me off too. Okay, so I'm looking up where do where are electric eels found? They're in the Amazon and the Orinoco River in South America. Ingolstadt and the eel district, Mike. And the okay, and the eel district. Ingolstadt is if to 855 miles if you're going to get to the English Channel, and 300 and some miles if you're going to get to the Croatian. Uh, Area of Italy between Italy and uh, Croatia. How the hell did he get electric eels? How did he even know what the hell and an why electric eel he was? Them? He had lightning and didn't think it was good enough. It's I, like I, okay. lightning doesn't like shiver around and make good camera shots. Well, it's also like a huge difference in how much power you're going to get. What was his plan B? We're going to rub a bunch of balloons on the wall? <laughs> yeah, electric eels, contrary to their name, do not really produce that much electricity. Right. But just to go back a little bit, I agree with you, Josh. I would definitely lay the fault of this uh, this movie right at Kenneth Branagh's feet. I think he, he, he I think he misdirected this movie badly, and the only person that didn't listen to him was De Niro because he's like, "Fuck you, I'm De Niro." <laughs> well, wait, I like what you just said because that's actually almost a direct quote from Frank Darabont. <laughs> if, if you love that movie, you can throw all your roses at Ken, Kenneth Branagh's feet. If you hated it, you can throw your spears there too, because that was his movie. So, yeah, he, he, I mean, I, and there's a lot of animosity on these guys. Well, I hear in the new uh, Murder on the Orient Express, there's like half the amniotic fluid, so it should be a little better. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did figure out how to make movies that weren't Shakespeare. True. Um, so, I mean, I have, I still have a lot of faith for his upcoming work, but this is really early in his directing career. And he thought he knew better than Francis Ford Coppola. And clearly he was wrong. I think this was probably just a very big learning experience for him. Yeah. He's Francis Ford Coppola. Listen to him. That's the learning experience. <laughs> Frank so, Darabont. Listen to him. <laughs> we haven't really talked about the plot too much, but. Um, before I, okay, before we get to the plot, real quick, electric oh, eels can make a shock up to 860 volts and one amp of current, 860 watts for two milliseconds. That's that's what a electric eel can do. The electric eel thing really kind of pissed me off. So it's it's like the same effect of taking a nine volt battery and putting it on your tongue. Pretty much. He wasn't putting it on his tongue though. He's putting it on Frankenstein's junk. That's not true. All right. It probably was a little bit. <laughs> Just for fun. Hey, look, I can make a jump. 
You would have an enormous fine sticker. That goes without <laughs> Okay. Joel Plot. Oh, well, I just, since we're not like going, because I think most people know the plot of Frankenstein, what I was wondering, and since I haven't read the book, um, I'm a huge fan of the, the original James Whale film. And of course, in that film, we all know it ends with the, the scene and the, the windmill and the fire and the, the villagers and everything. And then they make uh, Bride of Frankenstein later. Well, in this film, when Frankenstein comes sauntering back into um, the life of, of Victor and he's like, I want you to make me a bride or I'm going to kill everything you love. So in the book, was there a bride? Well, that if that part was straight out of the book, him coming up, he is uh, educated himself. He hates man. He hates his creator, but uh, he wants a bride. And he says, as yeah, so long as I have this, uh, I will depart from the world of men. You'll never see me again. Our debt will be paid. And Frankenstein's uh, basically like, no, you're unholy. I'm not doing it again. And uh, yeah, the there isn't as much like Franken Ninja where like he's just <laughs> appearing in rooms despite the fact he's like made of random parts and seven feet tall. So but otherwise, it, what, yeah. I, I, I was like very much questioning the whole we're standing here on the lawn face to face right now. Meet me over here at this other place on the other side of this ice mountain. Let's not talk right now. <laughs> like I, I was like, it, that was the thing that I was like, this is really stupid in the script. You know, I was, I was like, that's some bad writing right there. Like, <clears throat> no, we don't need to go and, and, and traverse the tundra and climb the mountain just to have our cl- climatic meeting. We're already standing here looking at each other. Okay. Where, where did he, I just wanted to have some nice cinematography shots. That's all that was. Yeah. They, For sure. Where, where did, where was the house at again? The house was in Geneva. Geneva. Oh, and to answer Joel's question, the bride was never successfully created in the book. Okay. The whole, uh, like, make me a bride. No, I won't make you a bride. Cool, bro. I'll kill yours then. That's out of the book. But then uh, raising Elizabeth and her turning into a human fireball, that that's all this movie. Now, the Bride of Frankenstein, the, the sequel, the original one, is fantastic. And I admit that despite overall not liking this movie the first time or the second time, that I still liked Helena Bonham Carter's kind of portrayal of that character, even though it wasn't anywhere close to what we're all used to. I thought it was an interesting take on it. And that was one of the few things that I was kind of like, huh, but it wasn't great. It was just kind of interesting to watch her uh, do that thing. And then of course, when she, burst into fire and decided to torch the whole world. Yeah. Well, that got I mean, a little off the rails. That I mean, the thing is you had so much talent in this group and Helena bottom Carter, I think she was outside of the whole, Hey, we're brother, sister. Want to go screw thing was kind of weird. <laughs> that was kind of strange. Um, you You're going to treat her like she's your sister. That's what you do to your sister. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's a detail out of the book. That uh, he, she Elizabeth was uh, adopted by their family, right? Okay. So she, they weren't blood, but they were raised as brother and sister, which makes it creepy. Right. Yeah. Also, Regardless. this town that they're in, the peasants seem to riot at the drop of a hat. 
no shit talk about flimsy evidence it's like oh there was a locket found on her she's a murderer let's kill her no questions yeah and not just kill her we're gonna throw her off that hanging was brutal yeah we're not we're not gonna let the family deal with this we're all gonna take charge of this because we're pissed off yeah well there was a deleted scene where mcdougall's ran out of szechuan sauce and they (laughs) and it just got ugly i mean just ugly I mean, in all in all honesty, her head should have been ripped clean out of her body when that thing went taut. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Here's a question for you. At the end of the movie, when he goes to reanimate Elizabeth, <laughs> what are you, why are you laughing already? I thought that was the question. Here's a question for you. And I thought that was all you were going to say. <laughs> McDougal's. Okay, go Jesus ahead. Christ, easy audience, man. <laughs> it's early. What the fuck was I saying? <laughs> you're asking about when he went to reanimate Elizabeth, and I oh, think yeah. I know where you're going. Yeah. How the hell did her head get so fucked up? No kidding. It was like, like oh, all no. He, no, no, no. This was before she was on fire. All he did oh. was bring a meat cleaver down on her neck. Like, what did he hack at her like 18 times? No, no, no. Oh, the I reason, missed her head again. No, oh, no, 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 no. I have chopped off a hand. I have an explanation why, for that. Yeah, why was the Calm hand your tits, so man. On? Like, he's Dude. like, I have to have the right hand be the hand. He was like, what? Mike has an answer. I have an answer for why she was so scra- her her face was all cut up. Plot? When she, no, not plot. When she fell out of the bed, he ripped her he ripped her heart out and flipped her body off the bed. Her face landed directly in that glass bowl and shattered in her face before when she hit oh, the ground. Oh, yeah, you're Cause right. Because I was okay. where I was My I bad. was like, where did all My those bad. scars come from? You know, and that, and that yep. is like speaks volumes to the movie. Is that is the one thing I was curious about. Everything else I'm like. All right, good, good. Okay, how about the hand? D- did we also see her, like, mangle her hand into nothing? Mm, no. I, I was more concerned about the face thing. Though I have to say, the, the makeup on her was pretty dang good. Well, sure. That's what I mean. That's, why, that's what I was kind of getting at. When I saw her come to life, even though I didn't want that to happen, it still was well done in so much as the performance and the, the makeup was concerned. But, yeah, no. No. Where do you no. think they went when they went to go? He's like, meet me in the White Lands or whatever. Where was that? If he was, I'm trying to f- just the geography and travel in this movie really kind of pisses me off too. Well, I mean, there's a lot of mountains in Switzerland, so I can give them that. But I mean, I don't understand why they had to go meet in the mountains. Okay. How do they get to the Arctic Circle? By boat. <clears throat> oh, you mean them? Oh, yeah. That's what it's. I'm looking at the Madden with grief. The story returns, so they found them in the Arctic Circle. Uh, yeah, I mean, they went by boat. He's been chasing the creature, and he have been chasing. I mean, that's another one straight out of the book. Okay, so they've, this is this the beginning of the movie does not like right after this happened. They've been chasing no, each other for years. The, the frame story is a series of letters from uh, Captain Robert Walton to his sister. Uh, about him finding this emaciated man in the North Pole where they didn't expect to find a human, and then he recounts the tale the man told him. Got it. Okay. I'll buy it then. But yeah, basically the creature did what he said he was going to do. His revenge is complete. He's going to flee the world of man, go to the North Pole, and Frankenstein has been chasing him ever since for revenge. Got it. And then he was sad when he died. Yeah, killed himself. Is that in the book? Yes. Okay. Well, it's still kind of like his father in a way, and I think at that point his everything was satiated. So 
uh, what point did he have in going on? I, I don't know. But it was it was another one of those you know it's another one of those stories where the the creature or the or the villain or whoever or whatever that is treated so as such an evil entity throughout the movie or throughout the whatever throughout the story you find out at the end actually you know is more human or more emotional more whatever than the people that have been the monster demonizing it yeah yeah and that was kind of the point of the book is that uh the monster believed that all of his crimes would finally bring him peace and he's not just mourning the death of the creator he's mourning the fact that he's wrong and that was almost certainly in the script and that was just ham-fisted in the direction by brana because who needs subtlety when you can beat people with a brick Sure. It's like, no, too many characters given the uh, Anakin Skywalker. No, in this movie, I think Ian Holm deserved a little better death than he got. Yep. It's just like, oh, look at Ian Holmes just watching him stand at the window. Oh, no, he's dead. Sorry. <laughs> was expecting a little bit more drama to that scene. <laughs> Maybe Ian Holm had just checked out at that point. He's like, just just kill me off screen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I'm going to my trailer. I got shit to do. <laughs> I got to go get prepared to be Father Cornelius. Multipass. <laughs> Brown's like, I got this idea for your death scream. See, the monster's going to come to you, and I need you to yell, no! <laughs> Unfortunately, he was saying that through a megaphone to the entire cast. <laughs> All right, I think we've milked this cow. Oh, God. I think we've beaten it with a large, dull object. An eel. Do with an eel. All right. So uh, when we come back, we're gonna talk about Victor Frankenstein, the uh, reinterpretation of this story. Uh, that was what 2015. Yeah, starring uh, Daniel Radcliffe and James McAvoy. Uh, yeah, fourteen fifteen. Right around yeah, there. Yeah, twenty fifteen. All right. Cool. We'll be back in a little bit. We are back, and we are talking about Victor Frankenstein, written uh, uh, 2015's Victor Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this one came out not too long ago. A new twist on it, by, uh, directed by Paul McGuin. Is that, am I saying that right? Paul. Um, yeah. Good enough. Close enough. Yeah, I'd say McGuigan. McGuigan. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be Paul McGuin. Could be Paul McGann. It probably is. I think I've heard that name before. There you go. Research. We do it. Um, Known for uh, such movies as Lucky Number Slevin, which actually was – I watched that when we did the – Morgan Freeman. Yeah, that was really good. Push, which I haven't seen, and Wicker Park with uh, Josh Hartnett. Uh, Got kind of a weird twist to all those movies. Also, this one was written by Max Landis. Known for uh, such stuff as American Ultra, Mr. Wright, and Chronicle, which Chronicle is on my list to see. Also, John Landis' son. Yeah, and American Ultra is on mine. Hmm. Yeah, Mr. Wright is another one, which kind of looked Sam Rockwell and Anna Kendrick and Tim Roth. Oh, and uh, he it looks like uh, Max Landis is the uh, attached writer for the American Werewolf in London 
remake that uh, I thought was already out, but hasn't been. Nice. Hasn't started shooting yet. Yeah, he's also huh. involved with uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which is nice. good stuff. All well, right. they're very far behind schedule on that one if you thought it was already out. It hasn't even started filming. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, this stars Daniel Radcliffe as Igor, or Igor. Oh, it's Igor. Uh, Jessica Brown Finlady as Lorelai. Bronze uh, yeah. Jessica Brown Finlay, well, she was like the reason to watch Downton Abbey for me. And when she left, she hasn't done much since. Like, she left to pursue her career, and I was just glad to see her in something. Mm. So she's, she's got the, the Shelley Long syndrome? Well, it wasn't that she was getting too big for her britches. It was more like she was the most popular character in a lot of ways on that show. And she was just like, I don't want this to define the rest of my career. And if I don't leave now, it will. Mm. So she's going to be doing Troop Beverly Hills, too. <laughs> That's not true. All right. Yet. So Bronson Webb is Rafferty, known for playing the Slytherin boy in one of the Harry Potter movies. James McAvoy is Victor Frankenstein. Daniel Mays, Barnaby, Spencer Wilding as Nathaniel, who is the strong man in the very beginning of the movie and then plays Prometheus at the end of the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's usually playing in some sort of prosthetic. Yeah. Robin Pierce. <laughs> as uh ex- inspector turpin and uh <laughs> i i have commentary about all these characters so i'm gonna hold off on that but kellen turner as elster and d botcher as the older nun i don't know why i put her in there i just like the fact they have her in as an older nun yeah and andrew scott and james mcavoy you guys would probably know best from sherlock and of course uh playing professor x respectively oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, so I watched this with the girls, but we'll, I, I, I want to get into it, but I'll talk trivia, trivia. Rather than don a wig or grow his hair long, which would, would have taken too much time, Daniel Radcliffe wore hair extensions for his role as Igor. But because of this choice, he had to suffer the look and wear them as his own hair through the entire filming. Huh. So, that's right. <laughs> Uh, the mispronunciation of Frankenstein's name is an allusion to the line from Young Frankenstein, and there's actually other uh, Young Frankenstein um, comments in there, like the when they're at the party and James McAvoy is downstairs, uh, and uh, who was he? Who was Igor um, was talking to Lorelai, and they're speaking upstairs, and then look downstairs. Victor's all the way down there in the middle of this crowd, in the middle of the room. And then he turns around, and Victor's suddenly there next to him. And then Igor does a double take and doesn't say anything about it. Apparently, huh. they, they did an, another nod to Young Frankenstein in that one. So, but uh, that makes a lot of sense, especially in keeping with the trivia you're just about to get to. Right. So the twist in this movie. Uh, puts a classic tale as told from Igor's perspective. However, Igor doesn't appear in the original novel Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. He also doesn't appear in the original Frankenstein movie. Nope. Nope. No, he. Uh, I, the original assistant in Frankenstein is uh, Fritz, and Igor doesn't appear until Son and Ghost of Frankenstein is played by Boris Karloff. Right. No, uh, Boris. Do I have that right? No, yeah, it's no. Bela Lugosi who's uh, Igor. Boris right. Karloff is uh, the monster. <clears throat> So Correct. four cast members of Sherlock are in this movie. Andrew Scott, who's Moriarty. Mark Gaddis as Mycroft Holmes. Louise Breedley as Molly Hooper. And Alistair Pitier as Major James Sholo. Wait, Mark Gaddis was in here? Yeah. 
I don't remember seeing him. He was a smaller part. He was way down the list. Yeah, I'm looking at this cast and credits order is really weird. We've got pretty minor uh, people like Die Botcher and Charles Dance is not listed. It's I think it's by they cut and paste it from the um, the credits of the movie, which were as they were introduced. For sure. So, oh, Mark Gaddis was part of uh, the rich kids group. Yeah, the I'm not a Nazi looking dude. Yeah, he had like a little mustache and yeah, little linen glasses that were tinted. I just looked it up online and I I, I totally missed him because I I mean watching Doctor Who, you know, he's a regular uh, contributor and participant, and uh, and uh, I couldn't pick out Moriarty because I've only seen one season of Sherlock, but I kept looking at that character and I was like, I know I know him from somewhere. <laughs> I know your face, but your name eludes me. Exactly. Um, in the scene which Dr. Frankenstein drains the abscess on the hunchback's back, it was originally just supposed to be done with the big old syringe. However, James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe, along with the director, came up with the idea for Frankenstein to actually have to suck on the tube to start the siphoning going, which is the <laughs> gagging scene. That I, yeah, just just like siphoning gas out of a car. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that's nothing. A big old mouthful of abscess pus has got to be. Mm, just and, like Fight Club. And there must have been some nasty stuff in there, too, for the uh, for the effect, because James McAvoy gagged when he did it, too. I mean, that I mean, he, when he when he started like getting that thing started, there must have been that stuff in there must have been really nasty. Also, whatever it was. Because he did Ugh, a full was amniotic fluid, from what I read in the later trivia. <laughs> they, they had much left over. Yeah, right. <laughs> it turns white. Ugh. Um. All right. So, yeah, this is kind of a hot take on the story, where you, you want to focus on the friendship between the assistant and the mad scientist, but not back off of the idea that Frankenstein is a mad scientist. He's fucking crazy. Yes. Which early on in the story, you kind of get a little bit of that with the whole escape sequence from the circus that he might be a little bit uh, off kilter, but you really don't start to see it until the experiments begin where it really kind of starts to shine. In the For sure. Uh, the first few minutes uh, of the film, basically until you get to the abscess scene, and even a little after that, uh, it almost feels a little bit like the new Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr., that's that was right. exactly what mm-hmm. I was afraid it was going to be. I was like, when he starts, you know, jumping off the side of the, the of the cart to punch the guy in the face, and he's picking locks with magnets. I was like, are they really going to turn this character into, you know, yeah? That's exactly what my fear was. When I, so yeah, like it was going to be an action type film or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you could just turn him into a MacGyver type character, you know, instead of a mad scientist, you know, Victor Frankenstein, Monster Hunter, right. <laughs> Uh, that's, I kind of was wondering that too, when they did the whole, with the, the, the overlay of the parts of the anatomy, as they're talking about, um, you know, what was happening when she fell from the, the trapeze. I was also very concerned in that whole chase scene, circus scene by the amount of slow motion that was used. I was like, Oh my God, are we going to have so much slow motion in this movie that it's going to be like 20 minutes too long? Mm. Well, I mean, I gave that scene a whole lot of credit because it, when you have circus attack and everyone using their circus abilities in the fighting, especially considering I just watched Mary Shelley's Frankenstein again, I was just like, okay, 
there is more interesting stuff in this scene than there was in the last two hours I just sat through for the second time. Oh yeah, I'll give the the opening scene. I did have that where like here we go. This is going to be you know Sherlock Holmes with him, especially when he punched the guy. Um, the point where I, I like I said I was watching with watching this with the girls and Dan because they're like oh Daniel Radcliffe's in it. We'll give it a chance. And Daniel Radcliffe is a hunchback. It's not a hunch. He just has bad posture and assist. And then he's going to cut his hair. And after he cut his hair, <laughs> Kitty goes. Because you can't have Daniel Radcliffe in a movie without him looking beautiful. <laughs> Swiss Army Man would disagree with I that. I know. And that's a, well, that's Very the thing. So. Is... I, I love what Daniel Radcliffe is doing with his post-Harry Potter career between being a kooky hunchback Igor and a dead body. Well, I just think it was kind of – Igor, you think hunchback, you think Igor. There is a definite – if you say that he's an Igor, you know exactly what you're thinking of. And they put him in a, a back brace, and suddenly he goes to cut his hair, and he goes from his dreadlocks to this pay, perfect page boy cut, which is kind of ridiculous too. But it, I thought that was kind of – it was goofy, and if you're going to do that, why have him be a hunchback in a circus in the first place? Well – it was too easily recovered from, that's for sure. I mean, next thing you know, he's dancing around, even though he had... I mean, they, they basically treated, after that first scene, they treated the back brace as like a piece of wardrobe rather than like something that is keeping him from collapsing over into a pile of no bones. Well, and Daniel Radcliffe, um, I, I've never been a huge fan of the Harry Potter franchise, but post-career, I've really come to enjoy watching him in his films. Speaking of the uh swiss army man or the woman in black or um well even this one what was the one horn oh horn was phenomenal i mean he's just he's really taking risks and doing a lot of different things instead of allowing himself to be kind of pigeonholed and well he also has the luxury of having harry potter money yeah right (laughs) he's like all he wants i mean a lot of struggling actors his age don't have that luxury he's like he's like our generations the van remember that van gogh sketch from saturday night live hey not van gogh um crap the impressionist i'm uh john lovitz played him hey it's me i'm crap (laughs) tonto not tonto we we went over this again (laughs) either way he he just was only last year this just last year, he did uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead um, in the National That's Theater a fun in Britain, script. and he played Rosencrantz. So that I wish I that would be fun to see. But he's reached a point in his career; he's like got so much Harry Potter money that, you know, yeah, sure, I'm going to play a dead guy. You know, sure. He just gets to pick and choose what he wants to do, right? Which is something that you know a struggling actor doesn't have the luxury of doing. They kind of got to take what's given to him a lot of times. He decided not to go the Macaulay Culkin route and just smoke weed and play World of Warcraft for 10 years. <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, Daniel Radcliffe can afford to say no to, you know, the Burger King commercial. Picasso. That's who I was thinking of. <laughs> oh, who? Picasso. Yeah. Oh. The John Lovett sketch. Hey, look at me. I'm Picasso. Sign. Never mind. Fuck me. <laughs> I think you threw us all off by calling Picasso an impressionist. <laughs> it was definitely worth going back for, though. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> totally worth. Continue. <laughs> I don't know if we can. Let's keep talking about Picasso. Um, I this movie was not flawless, but I found it refreshing because I, it starts with you already know this story, and they're going to tell it from a different angle. 
And I liked the fact that uh, they're basically made Igor the surgical genius, like the technical, really impressive stuff. That's mostly Igor. When you talk about the creation of a new man, Igor is really the only successful creation Frankenstein ever did. Mm -hmm. When he was working on his own, all of his stuff is rotting and nasty and insane. Now, I'm not saying in this, I'm not saying that I dislike this movie. I enjoyed this movie. I thought of the new take on Igor being a an equal to Victor Frankenstein was pretty cool. You know, I, he's a lot smarter. I did take a little bit of a leap of leap of logic to the the clown at the at the circus likes to spend his time, you know, drawing uh, anatomy pictures, which was kind of weird. But yeah, that was a big <clears> jump <throat> when they're like, "Oh, I'm not respected. I'm beaten. I'm treated like an animal. Oh, I'm also the doctor." I'm yeah, like, well, that doesn't really flow. I don't know. I mean, it's one of those stylistic choices. It reminded me a lot of like Edward Scissorhands. You've got this weird loner that has this special talent. Well, and I think that they left him alone enough that he was reading books and learning. He was self-studied and he just had the the brain for it and they just didn't realize it because he was under the radar. Right. And the fact they they let the freak patch somebody up if they got injured, but they didn't seem to have a whole lot of respect for book learning and medicine. In that <laughs> That's <sense>. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't appreciate all the stereotypes you know, talking bad about us carny folk. What? You're a carny? He's from Texas. You know that. You're a carne asada. Texas is basically one large carnival. <laughs> uh, Recently added water rides. Yeah, the summer before oh, I met you guys. Funny. Uh, oh, water bad. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get one in the second half somewhere. Um, I... I am not a James McAvoy fan, and I did not know he was in this. And when I saw his face, I was like, ugh. But despite him, I didn't hate this movie. And for you, that's saying a lot. I will give, if I had not watched this immediately after watching Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, maybe my expectations wouldn't have been so low. I'm not going to say I love this movie. I'm going to add it to my collection or all-time top movies but one of the criticisms i saw of it was like this is a frankenstein story that has been told better in other better movies and i'm looking at the frankenstein catalog and i'm like where well outside of the original i mean it's been done so many times that it's hard to do it with it being original or or feeling fresh at all it's really sad that no joke one of the best renditions of the frankenstein story is young frankenstein for sure. And that's the thing is people have this image of, oh, I know this story. It's like, no, you don't know the story. The individual films are not all that great necessarily, but they come together and fuse into this sort of patchwork quilt of what we all accept as the Frankenstein story that is codified in Young Frankenstein. Yeah, it's it's been retold so many times that the mythos is based on the films more than the book. Even for though sure. it's all different adaptations of that story. Well, and, that, and I don't even think it's necessarily based on any one particular film. It's based on like <laughs> the statistical average of six different films. You're like, oh, I know this story. Igor is in the first one. It's like, well, no, he's usually not. And that's and that is similar with all these um, the MGM monsters. Dracula. Universal. Yeah, Universal. Sorry, Dracula. You know, you've got these. It's it, you know. 
the the movie Dracula. Then it go, carries on from those to those to those. It wasn't until you know that we got. Oh, I don't think we've ever had like a fully hundred percent from the book Dracula movie. No, Bram Stoker's Dracula was the uh, closest. And let's face it, in some ways, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was a quick cash in. And it would have been a successful quick cash in if Coppola had stuck to his guns and made it himself. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think had all of those films followed a more traditional path, this would have been even better going from this crazy different angle. It's like, you know that you've got a mad scientist and you know, you've got a relationship between these two characters. Let's make those the focus of the movie. So that, that aspect of it worked for me. Well, see, you don't want to in watching this. It was like with Daniel Mays, not, not, not Daniel Mays, Andrew Scott. Okay, so Moriarty, we want you to be Sherlock, but keep using the Moriarty voice. James For Mac, sure. Da, Victor Frankenstein, you know, dot Professor X, we want you to be Magneto. <laughs> that's because that's kind of like the, the change in personality, because you know from Dr. X, you have this megalom- megalomaniacal, uh, in, insane genius from that, and then they're like, Daniel Radcliffe, keep playing Harry Potter, but just walk a little funny. That's, I mean, it's, I, I like the characters. I just felt that they kind of took their stereotype and just changed the names. Huh. I don't know that I agree about Daniel Radcliffe. Don't think I, so. I, I don't, I didn't see Harry Potter at all. I, I saw a lot more shades of uh, Daniel Radcliffe's later career where he's almost trying to be this generation's early Johnny Depp, where I'm going to do all these weird characters. Cause you know, me as the generic lead guy. Okay. And even though physically he changed into the generic lead guy, like the way he looks, his personality still had, uh, all, all of the weirdness from his origin. And I did love the bit where you got the yes master when they were animating the chimp. Well, let's was, talk about animating the chimp. Yeah, that was kind of <laughs> freaky. I love their early work, but, but towards the end, they really <laughs> animating the chimp's first album was fire. <laughs> it was good. It was a good record. So the chimp, yes. It, it at first I didn't think that they were going to be successful, and I'm like, okay, I see where they're going. And then when they did, it was uh, it was kind of dark. Well, as soon as, as soon as you said the third time, he's like, give it the full volume. I'm like, okay, well, this is going to end badly. Yeah, I thought it was going to, like, explode. Well, that's exactly what I thought. It was. I thought it was just going to get up and, like, rage and then just... Well, that was one of the conversations they had with the girls when we were watching this. I'm like, I paused it, all right? They're going to give it the full juice. Who's losing a face in this scene? That was my... <laughs> well, the, the opening scene when they're, t- when they're showing the trapeze artist girl, and he's all, like, going on and on about her. I'm like, oh, well, things are going to work out well for this lady. Yeah. No kidding. When we first saw her on screen, I was like, there's no way she makes it to the end of this movie alive. Right. (laughs) And I was pleasantly surprised. I I don't know that her character, besides being romantic interest, had a whole lot of point. But Jessica Brown Finley is gorgeous and charismatic, so I didn't really care that much. I'm not really familiar with her. Yeah, I didn't know her other than this. I I wasn't that stricken. Well, and that's the thing is, generally speaking, Downton Abbey is a show that is more likely to be watched by women than men. And I happened to watch probably two thirds of the series when Sarah watched it the second time. Yeah, here so, you go. Here you go I, yeah, I've seen like two seasons of Downton Abbey. So that's why I know her. 
if you want to catch up with her, she's currently in a TV show called Harlots. So that may be more your style. Just <laughs> do you say are you saying Pat likes Harlots? That, well, it's an 18th that, century novel. I'm it. No, he's not. Mm. Harlots good. <laughs> I don't know. All right, so we should we should move forward to the actual end half thir- last 30 minutes of the film when Frankenstein gets the uh the the castle with the crazy rich guy and he's finally building the monster without Igor who has since decided to move on. Was there any and, explanation about the rich guy and what he was, you know, what he was associated with and why his family had to take things over? Well, he he just seemed like the stand-in for the corporate guy. This like, I love the work you're doing. I'm going to make all the money and take all the credit off of it. Okay. And then you mix that with the uh, the Paul Reiser stereotype. from Aliens guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've also got the Victorian stereotype of the vaguely effeminate, super evil dude. Hmm. Well, and it sounded like his ultimate goal from his exposition was that he wanted to create an undead army of sorts so that he could become the the ruler he was kind of megalomaniacal i didn't get the undead army out of him i got the he wanted to control immortality and make his family multi-billionaires for through that well he said at one point i want to create uh he said something about imagine when i have you know multitude of these creatures yeah. and he's like then i can take over whatever area they were in and become oh, the ruler I, I missed that i guess yeah yeah, he had bigger plans. Yeah, I mean, that could have just been him rolling with the punches. It's like, okay, when you use this immortality thing, this isn't going to be bringing grandma back unless you want grandma to, like, rip down the local church. <laughs> but we can work with this. Get everybody's grandma together and take over Germany. That's my Rip fetish. down all the churches. <laughs> Gra- Grandma's deconstructing buildings. That's my fetish. <laughs> Tab number four. <laughs> But then then there's that great line where Igor is like, well, we all know this story, but it starts with the thunder crack. And it just like I was like, okay, are they going to skip the whole monster part of it? And they're just going to like jump to some sort of resolution before we see the monster. Sorry. That's what what I thought. I was I was clicking the click the wrong button on IMDb. (laughs) Went to a video. (laughs) Google Fire Phone. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought was going to happen, but then they did go on and and tell the uh, origin of of the the monster, which we should talk about that because there was some discussion before the show um, about that creature, and I want to get everybody's kind of opinion on this particular take on that monster. Well, one thing I liked about the creation of the monster is they the whole we need power to create this Prometheus, create Prometheus came from huge ass weather balloons being thrown up into the middle of a thunderstorm. You know what? That's you not it's not a bag of eels. Right. They recognize that lightning produces more power than eels. Right. So they they've got that going for them. Yeah. The the creation of the the creature, I think honestly and deliberately in this movie, the creature itself kind of took a back seat to everything. Yeah, when you see the plans for the creature and you see the f- a sheet over the face, you're like, this looks like Frankenstein. I don't need to see them sewing on each individual part. I'm getting a sense of what this thing is. And I really appreciated 
the creature design even before we got to see him standing up. Mm-hmm. Well, like when they're talking about it and he's like, and he should have a flat head. And Igor's like, why? Uh, why? Because I, like I like it. <laughs> okay. We'll roll with that. And he did. He had kind of a flat head. Yeah. I mean, and the, the uh, hubris of man, hubris of the creator came back immediately and was like this very fast wrap up to the entire thing. But I, I like the fact that, you know, every other movie it's been, oh, the monster's terrorizing the town. The monster's loose. The monster gets loose in the very, you know, early on in some movies. In this one, you don't you only see the monster itself for like the last, what, 15 minutes of the movie. And the whole thing is telling things from Igor's side of view. It's more of a personality framework of the relationship between Igor and Frankenstein than, oh, yeah, and by the way, we made a monster out of this, too. But this is how him and I got along. Yeah, it's not about the monster. But then again, you can't tell a story about a creator, mad scientist who's famous for making a monster without ever showing his unholy creation and its consequences. Oh, yeah. So, it has so to I be think there. they struck the balance just right. Which I think, uh, being a, a fan of the original Universal uh, Boris Karloff version, who, you know, again, kind of set the standard for what we should expect, I thought they d- did a nice blend of that and a more realistic take on it, especially with the giant, like, sutures on his chest that was barely holding him together, mm-hmm. it looked like. Um, and and <clears throat> I will say that that is my problem with this particular monster setup. Like if he is fresh off of the operating table with all these fresh sutures that they're drawing apart, he should fall apart as he's fighting, technically. Because fresh sutures do not take to like lifting and pulling and tugging and fighting and like I would have been more impressed if like he went to pick up uh Igor with one hand and like his arm fell off or started ripping off or whatever. Mm-hmm. But whatever. I did not like this monster's design. I liked the idea of it, and like it, at first glance, I was like, "Oh, it looks pretty cool." But like the, the closer you examine it, it looked more like a uh, like a, a mask you would buy at a party store rather than a realistic looking monster. Because like all the sutures, all everything, it all was like one big piece. You could tell it was just made out of latex, and it was just a little bit less realistic than I would have uh, not anticipated. What's we're looking for? Expected, I guess. Yeah, I I think the thing, the reason I like the design so much is I talked about, uh, this is going to seem like a crazy tangent, but back in Bat Month, I talked about how the Batman Arkham games take the statistical average of what everybody imagines from all the Batman movies, all the Batman comics, all the Batman TV shows. It's like, let's jam those together into what you imagine as an average of all of those and then give it a tiny stylistic spin to smooth out the edges. The aesthetic of this whole movie is like that for Frankenstein. We're going to take what you remember from Boris Karloff. We're going to take what you remember from young Frankenstein, other media, comic books, retellings, remakes, and we're going to average all that and then give it our own smooth over. And this is what you have. See, and I don't know that the sutures were that fresh because he'd been building the monster for months and uh, granted dead flesh and that is not going to heal as it would with living tissue. So yes, there is that, but it looked like during the course of the battle that his chest was starting to kind of pull apart. And I'm still not a hundred percent sure about the whole double hearts thing because he wasn't a time Lord, obviously, but yeah, I um, thought that was kind of goofy, two sets of lungs and two hearts and everything. 
Yeah, I wasn't I, quite I, sure. I, I preferred the monster design from the first Frankenstein, to be honest. From the original? I thought Robert De Niro's look was oh. much more realistic. It's two different takes on the character. Robert De Niro looks like a big dude stitched together from parts of other big dudes, which is one take on it. And this almost looked more like the classical golem. Right. right. Yeah. Like, they, I mean, they were definitely not trying to create a human for sure. No. And they talk about a homunculus. So it's a really short jump from homunculus to golem. And like, if you're looking in gaming terms, Frankenstein is a flesh golem. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I touched on this when I was watching it or when you guys were about to watch it, but for, if anybody's going to be watching this anytime soon, watch for uh, Frankenstein's pants because he's wearing very short shorts and it's kind of, it's kind of distracting because I kept waiting to hear. Oonch, 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 Strangely, oonch, oonch, I didn't notice that. He dresses like an MMA fighter. <laughs> so the takeaway here is Joel was distracted by Frankenstein's crotch and it ruined the ending for him. Yeah. Well, I was like, is he tucking? How is he keeping it in there? I just, I wasn't sure what was happening. And, it, you know, is it stitched together? Is it even there? Why is that is he... always your first concern about any villain in any movie? What's the crotch situation? <laughs> you... time? Every time I, I watch Hans Grubler in, in Die Hard, that's the first thing I'm thinking about. I'm like, you know, yippee I don't know what's happening down there. Yeah, we're going to get into Friday the 13th. It's like, you know, I didn't like Jason's penis in the remake. <laughs> <laughs> the little hockey mask on it was just kind of off-putting, and I don't know. But in all my viewings of his crutch, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what was interesting, and what I I kind of liked was that as soon as uh, the the monster was brought to life, Victor quickly realized the the error of his ways, and I mean there was no love for the monster at that point. It was like, oh shit, what did I do? I've gone against God and everything, and I'm you know, sorry about this. What do I do to stop it? And think of it from the monster's point of view. He's like, you brought me to life just to kill me. You sons of bitches. <laughs> right. I would be pissed off too. <laughs> and his breakdown was way better than Branagh's because Branagh's insanity was basically like he stopped cutting his hair and got a little dirty and stopped wearing shirts. As yeah, you will. Why was Kenneth Branagh? Dude, put a shirt on, man. That maybe that was I, the erotic part. I think he had worked out quite a bit for that role. So I think he was he just show showing off. off. Yeah, my interpretation of insanity is romance novel cover plus dirt. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. The Frankenstein in this one, when he when the creature came alive and started running around, he he was that I have made a terrible mistake. You know, this is not. You know, we we need to take this thing down. This is. I mean, I immediately regret, regret this decision. decision. Yeah, he's like, oh crap! I'm dating a galuli. Now. <laughs> Now the whole them. I thought I thought it was very interesting that the entire movie to me felt like I, I mean felt like I was watching somebody play an ultra realistic video game. Huh. I you know, I I could say that. Maybe that's a criticism from your angle, but it's not necessarily one for me. I'm, that might have been I'm a positive. I'm not saying it as a criticism, but it almost. I mean, it felt like a lot of the scenes were like cutaway scenes, you know, that you would see in a in a in a game, you know. Yeah. And I, I could I could see that where at the end it's the you have to get to the big you know, you gotta get to the Lance to fight him off and you oh, he's got two hearts and they do that I think part of it was when he stabbed him through the chest and then it did, did that like X ray vision of his two hearts may have been part of that where you got that video game. Yeah, it felt very video gamey in several yeah, you know, with those Yeah. That wasn't entirely a bad thing. I mean I dug it. 
Uh, Andrew Scott's Inspector Turpin. It's really cool. They wanted to bring in the concept of this is a crime against nature without just having a mob of peasants with pitchforks and torches. And you've got this guy who lost his wife and has decided this is God's will. I have some very uh, hardline opinions about life and death. I'm brilliant. uh, But like he's so far over the edge and so obsessed that uh, he's gone too far. He's kicked off. Scotland Yard police force and he is the main foil. He's the main villain in the piece. Yeah. He and his wooden hand. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of kind of weird. Of course him getting his hand torn off by the uh by the gears, that was pretty rough too. <clears throat> but I, I and I did like the idea the reason why they kicked him off the uh off of the uh force. I mean, did you hear the conversation there? It was like more you went in there without a warrant. You're done. I mean, we knew he was right, and he still sounded like a lunatic. Yeah, and that's the thing, is it's interesting that they take a character whose madness is rooted in their faith without necessarily, as a film, even if Frankenstein criticizes his faith, the film doesn't take a stand on all Christians are terrible. This guy has just taken this too far, and Christianity is the vehicle for his madness. Right. I mean, he had he had a personal thing in there. His wife died. It was more than just this is an affront against God. It's the my wife has died. There is a there was an emotional attachment to it. Well, yeah. and just to to touch on one last thing here, I think cause we're getting ready to wrap up very soon. But um, the last scene where Frankenstein is off and he's left, they've parted ways, and he he's written the letter to Igor, and he he even comments about what you guys had kind of touched on earlier that his greatest creation was Igor and not the monster itself. And I thought that was a nice, a nice way to kind of wrap it up. And I thought I felt like, Oh, that's all in the past. You know, we're blah, 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 blah. But be ready. I might call on you again. Yeah. Right. There's there a sequel. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. There might be a sequel, you know? Right. So when he creates the bride. All right. So thumbs up, thumbs down on these guys. Uh, the original, uh, for me has always been a thumbs down and somehow it got worse with age. (laughs) Um, but this, uh, the ream our Victor Frankenstein is going to be a a pretty solid thumbs up for me. All right. Uh, I'm in the same boat. I would say the, uh, the original, I didn't care for it much when I first saw it. I was not looking forward to seeing it again. And I was not disappointed any more than I was the first time I saw it. Um, and I, I rather enjoyed Victor Frankenstein. It's not anything that I need to see again anytime soon, nor would I be adding it to my collection, but I, uh, I enjoyed it for what it was for sure. Pat. I would go with, with kind of a thumb sideways for the first one. I didn't hate it. And I really liked Robert De Niro's performance in it, but, um, it's just not good, but I, I don't necessarily think I would call it awful. So but if forced to pick a thumbs up or thumbs down, I would go with a thumbs down for it. Okay. But I'm sticking with it the half thumb sideways. And uh, I would I would have to give a, a even the reluctant thumbs up to Victor Frankenstein. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it for sure. Cool. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but I don't, I'm not mad that I saw it. Yeah. The first one, I... I'm giving it a thumbs down for something that had so much potential. And just yeah. went to shit. Um, you know what? I, it, I, it might almost automatically become a thumbs down just because it should have been so good. Yeah. Right I mean, all that, the parts yeah. were there for this to be an amazingly good movie. And, uh, you know, Kenneth Branagh's ego apparently 
jacked it all up. So thumbs that down. was the real monster. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. And then for the new one, I'll give it a thumbs up. I mean, I'm not going to be going out of my way to find it, but if it comes on TV or if it shows up on Netflix, I'll be like, yeah, you know, it'll have something to play on the background. I mean, but at the same time, it it was enjoyable. I liked it. So. All right. So next week, week two of October. Yes. We're all going to float. <laughs> yeah, we are going to be taking a look at the original miniseries uh, movie for uh, Stephen King's It and uh, It Part One in theaters now, largest horror movie ever. So, uh, yeah, we're going to get a fresh take on that. Uh, if you have any opinions on scary clowns or homunculi or abscesses, you can give us a call. Let us know your thoughts on Frankenstein. <laughs> or short shorts. <laughs> Joel's obsession with horror crotches. You can give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And like I said before, all of our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Talk Show, and other podcasting directories out on the web. Find us there. Thanks for listening. Uh, and <laughs> show good. Fire bad. I'm just pissed that like all the wares from that woman disappeared when we killed her. That's not right. Well, there's something that's going to be taken out of context. <laughs> <laughs>